So the God of my today, walking through life, allowing God to guide and lead. What does that look like? How do we go about it? We're going to learn a little bit of that today as we dive into Daniel chapter 4, all right? Daniel 4, guiding so I will listen is the name of the sermon today. So turn with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 4. And uh, we've got a few steps to walk through here, and hopefully you've recognized the uh, verses here that are coming out. Uh, As we say them, uh, first point here, trust in the Lord, coming right out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Every circumstance is another chance for God to reveal his greatness. Trust in the Lord. Every circumstance is another chance for God to reveal his greatness. Do you think that way? How often do we end up in one of those struggles and we're like, this is terrible. This is so not what I wanted. And man, if we can shift that to being able to say, I have no idea how God is going to reveal his character in this, but I can't wait to worship him in it. And uh, man, it just starts to put him at the head of this expectation on it. God, I cannot wait to see you work in this. May you reveal your character. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs chapter 3, the first part there, right? And uh, Lord, help us to trust. All right, let's make sure we dive into this passage and pull it out from uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar in his second dream. So it starts out chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all my peoples, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. So this is actually a, a decree going out from Nebuchadnezzar where he's like, hey, Everyone, like this is the breadth of his kingdom that he's reaching out to, and even beyond that, as he's reaching out to all peoples, nations, and languages, he says, that dwell in all the earth, I've got a word for you. Let's talk a little bit about the signs and wonders of the Most High God. And uh, can you hear there's almost a worship statement in what he's saying? Can you hear that? Real answer, can you hear that? There's almost a worship going on in what he's saying here. How can this be? And just so you know, this is him looking back. The first few verses here is him looking back, not over what happened in chapters 1 through 3, but actually what happens in chapter 4. And and so he's actually saying here, let me tell you some great things that happened. And then he's going to dive into a storyline in chapter 4 that spreads over years of time. Okay, it spreads over years, but it shows God's great handiwork in it. And so this week and next week, we're going to plow through the great story that Nebuchadnezzar walked through where it revealed to him the most high God in all of his signs and wonders. This is a power worship passage coming by testimony from someone who has gone through it. And he's like, here's my testimony. A lot like when we do baptisms and we're hearing a little bit of a story of life change. And they're like, this is what's so awesome about my God. That's what's going on here. All right. And so he's like, it's just a huge celebration. Verse three, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures for generation to generation. Please hear what he's celebrating. God's in charge. Everybody just say God's in charge. And that's the celebration testimony that he's got. 
let me tell you something. The most high God, he rules over everything forever. Let me tell you how I came to that conclusion. That's Nebuchadnezzar's decree, all right? And uh, so now we dive into verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was, notice the past tense, now we're going to the testimony, right? Was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Uh, Because what king isn't, right? (laughs) Kicking back, feet up, enjoying everything he owns and how well things are going. And when it doesn't go well, he puts a little command out, sends somebody to manage the problem, and he's done. He's at ease. He's prospering in his palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. Everybody say, here we go again. I saw a dream that made me afraid, right? Daniel chapter 2 was all about a dream that made him deeply afraid. And this is yet another dream, a second dream. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And uh, He had a dream that shocked him and scared him and he wasn't sure. And once again, he had grasped that somehow this is a message from God himself but I don't know what it means. And he had that sense in the dream that something was not good, but he needed to have it understood. So I made a decree. Everybody say, here we go again. Right? Nebuchadnezzar and his decrees, he loves them. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And everybody says, here we go again, right? And so the whole thing, a dream, nervousness, fear, calling for the wise men to come give him the answer, and yeah, here we go again. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, they came in, and I told them the dream. Hey, that's a little different, right? Last time, he was like, you tell me the dream, and if you don't tell me the dream, then I don't think you can tell me the interpretation, I expect you to be able to tell me what this thing's all about. That was last time, Daniel chapter 2. This time, he's like, here's the dream. What's the difference? Well, don't forget that in Daniel 2 and 3, we've had such huge things happen that he has raised up both Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a huge confidence has come in these men. Daniel, at the end of chapter 2, was placed over all the wise men. He now has a pretty high trust in what's going on there, even though for some odd reason he's still working with them. And these are people, right? Remember the magicians, enchanters, all that. They worked in black magic and dark stuff, man. They were getting communication through demonic forces and whatever else to try to get a tip on what was going on. Please note the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Yeah, he told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. And... uh, This was from God, and the dark forces of this world, they could not give him any insight to it. Notice they did not try to lie. Doesn't say why not, but I think it'd be a pretty fair guess, because Daniel's sitting over him, and Daniel would easily be able to go, yeah, dude, that's just so not what that even is. That's not the interpretation. Here's the, right? They're now held accountable. So they're like, I don't know. I don't really know the interpretation. They're not giving it a shot with the lie. They just go straight to the honest answer. Yeah, we we don't have an answer. And, uh, And then Nebuchadnezzar says, at last Daniel came in 
before me. He's like, finally, you're here. You know, you're the guy's working for you. You can't really help me much, right? And I've been looking for an answer to this thing, and, and uh, at last Daniel came in. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Are you hearing it? He is absolutely recognizing the power of God working in Daniel, in whom the spirit is working, right? The spirit of those holy gods. And uh, so, yes, a connection from God to Daniel. Notice, not a connection from God to Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, he's working in you. And, uh, and I told him the dream. And so now he shares out with Daniel, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Remember, he just told him the dream. So as he's telling it out, he's like, repeat to me the dream and its meaning. He already gave him the actual dream. This isn't come up with it from scratch like in chapter 2. Now it's just walk through it with me, please. And... Uh, he says, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. In his dream he saw not just a tree, not just a huge tree, but the hugest tree ever as it stretched up to the heavens and stretched out and covered the whole earth. This tree was massively covering the earth. That was the first part of the dream. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. And uh, it was a healthy tree, and people lived with it. It says, the beasts of the field, they found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in it, and all flesh was fed from it. Shade under it, lived in it, fed from it. This was a very productive, healthy, fruitful tree, right? That's what's going on in the dream. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in the bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one. Everybody say that means angel. Okay, and so an angel of some sort in his dream now came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree. And lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew. You hearing it? So let's get this vision again. Massive tree, biggest tree ever. Stretching to the heavens, stretching out across the whole earth. Birds are living in it. All the beasts are feeding off of it. There's shade under it. This tree is super helpful and productive for life. And uh, this valuable, pragmatic tree. An angel comes down and says, all right, that's it. Tear it down. Tear it limb from limb, if you will. Do you remember that statement? Back in the prior chapter, in the chapter before it, that was Nebuchadnezzar's command for anybody who wouldn't obey him. Tear it limb from limb. He's like, tear the limbs off. Cut the leaves off. Get rid of the fruit. Get the beasts to go away. Everything done. Cut it down, but, everybody say but, leave a stump. Get rid of the tree, but leave just a little bit left. 
leave a stump. All right. He's got this huge call out for a, a vision with an angel, the chopping down and the scattering, and a stump left. It says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Basically, this stump is going to sit out in the elements for a long time. It says, let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the field. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. Notice now it's changed in tone, and the tree is being talked about as a hymn. And the mind is being changed from a man's mind to a beast's mind. And um, everybody say, that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And we're going to see it come through uh, in a little bit in chapter 4 here. He says, let his mind be changed to a beast's mind and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. And it's like, thus saith the angels who are messengers from God himself. This is what's going to happen. Massive providing tree will be cut down and will be given the mind of an animal and nothing more. And then it says, why? The sentence is brought by them. And to the end, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Are you hearing it? The purpose of this event will be to show the whole world that the Most High rules over everything. By the way, that's why we call him Most High, right? And how often do we end up with the Most High where we're like, kind of high? We start treating him not as Most High. And the call here is that we would see him as truly Most High. He will rule over the kingdom of men. He gives it to whom he will. No one ever rules in this world without God having a say in it. The end. God is in charge. Our king rules over all. He decides who rules and reigns. He sets up kings and deposes them. And notice right here it says, and he sets over it the lowliest of men. Man, invite yourself to the foot of the table and in due time God will raise you up. And uh, that is absolutely where we need to be with our king. He works through humility, not through pride. And uh, he works through humility, not through pride. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, here we go, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He's got a trust in the God who's working through Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, while he doesn't really trust himself, and he certainly doesn't trust his, his wise men, he still goes to them somewhat. But in the end, he's like, Daniel, you and the spirit of the holy God. Now that's who I'm trusting in. And uh, a cry out that we trust in the Lord with all our heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Man, if you are looking to be guided in your day to day, trust in the Lord with all your heart, okay? And uh, a number of years ago, um, we were actually engaged at the time, not married. Uh, Jonna's dad was turning 50 years old, which at the time seemed immensely old to me and now seems gloriously young, really, <laughs> really. And, uh, but he was turning 50 years old and uh, his request was, I wanna jump out of an airplane for my 50th birthday. 
right? So we were like, great, go ahead and do that. <laughs> and his request was, do that, with us, do that with me. And so we wanted me and Jonna to jump with him. And uh, so we were going to go jump out of a plane. We did a bunch of research. Okay, I did a bunch of research on which one had the least amount of people that died at their place and uh, found the place that was actually a very healthy place to jump from on average. And uh, we uh, are getting ready to go there. We've got him coming into town, and I'm thinking everything through. And I'm telling you, I'm starting to get really nervous and anxious. And this is like days in advance. I'm beginning to process through what this whole thing means. Like healthy plane, me exiting 13,500 feet. What am I thinking, right? And I'm feeling the whole thing days in advance and I'm getting prepped and we get there and they actually hand you a piece of paper that says, please sign this, that says you understand you might die. And uh, you have to sign, you really have to sign that. You're like, okay, where do I sign? Like, okay, I understand I might die on this journey. And uh, so we're signing it and I'm looking over at her and my, and my father-in-law to be and I'm like, we for real on this? We're still doing this. And I sign it, they sign it, everything's good, they train us, I won't go into all the training talk, but it was psychotic at best, and, uh, and a dude with hair down to his rear end and pockmarked from the life of adrenaline junkie that he had lived, and he's trying to convince us that we should not do this uh, so that he's not responsible, and uh, in the end, we end up doing it, we end up getting on our outfits and getting in the plane and we get up to about 10,000 feet and I look back at my wife I'm like okay this is cool and I look back now she's sheet white <laughs> now 10,000 feet in the plane dressed and she's like what are we doing you know and I'm like too late we have to learn to communicate better right and uh so all right so we get up to the plane and they're like go to the edge of the door and your whole thing you're going to count to three. You're going to hear me counting from behind you. This is, by the way, we're strapped to somebody else, so we can be kind of clueless, and it still will work out. But we're strapped to somebody else. One, two. The problem is with the wind blowing at 140 miles an hour, you hear it like one, two. And then with the ever most loving nudge, they push you out, and the two of you tumble out and get your balance as you're now free-falling 13,500 feet. And uh, you fall down to about 5,500, and then you reach over, and you pull a lever that releases a doggone straight there's a parachute, right? <laughs> and I'm just telling you this, I would never have gotten in that plane if they did not put a parachute on me, right? And uh, man, we need to make sure that we never walk life without your parachute being your God Almighty with you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm telling you, as I got in that plane, I was absolutely certain that this parachute had been checked, triple checked, quadruple checked, and I was putting trust in that chute. And man, as we walk our daily life, be careful who you put your trust in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Make sure you grasp who he is. Make sure you understand that he is right here with you. Make sure you grasp he is the most high God. There is no one else. I lean on him alone. This is my hope. I'm telling you for guidance in daily life, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And uh, 
I'm not sitting up there in the plane thinking, the shoot is great, but I'm really putting my trust in like five other things too. One thing to shoot and being able to count on. And man, make sure as you step out, you are trusting in your God and Him alone. Simple question, who is it you're trusting in? Is it you? Are you trusting in yourself? Is it someone around you? And make sure you put your trust in God alone. And all of God's people said, for true guidance, our trust needs to be in him, number two. Lean not on your own understanding. Stand by your God and what he declares as true. Lean not on your own understanding. Stand by your God and what he declares is true. Verse 19. It says, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. Why? Because he knew the interpretation, and he understood that it spoke against the king. And he's like, how do I reveal this out to the king? How do I tell him this bad news? The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Like, hey, man, I can tell this thing's grieving you, and it must not be good news. Don't worry about it. Just tell me what it is. All right? Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And uh, just so we understand that sentence, take a look at the next sentence. Uh, may this dream be for those who hate you and interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves uh, were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived, it is you. All right? And so hear me on this. When he stands up and says, like, may this be all about others, he's like, I hope I'm wrong in this interpretation, but I'm not. And so here's what it is. This strong, huge tree that stretched out over the whole earth, that provided shade and food and life and place to live. It is you, O king, who have grown up and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Hear me, just like in Daniel chapter 2 where he dreamed of a statue and it was all about the kingdoms that would come. And the head of gold was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. He was the top one and this glorious, precious one. So now in this second dream, we have a dream of this massive tree. And it's all about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And the greatness of that kingdom and what that was provided out to the people. And the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar and all that he had been doing. And uh, it says, your dominion to the ends of the earth and your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens. This is a huge compliment to Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom he has built. Then says, and because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods pass over him. It's like, because of that, this is the interpretation, O king. 
It is a decree of the Most High. Hear a little bit of humor in that. Because Nebuchadnezzar is walking around each chapter and he's like, here's a decree. Here's another decree. I've got another decree. I have another decree. And Daniel's like, just so you know, the Most High God has a decree. And his decree sits over you. And you need to grasp that with all you've got. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord, the King, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. Catch this. Just as the tree will be cut down, as the branches will be cut off, as the leaves will be removed and the fruit taken away and the whole tree cut down to a stump, That's you, O king. Can you imagine being Daniel having to share that? The carefulness with which you share those words. That's that's you, king. And uh, notice he says, my lord, the king. He's showing him high respect as he's sharing him bad news. It says, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. You are going to have the mind of an animal. You are going to be driven out. There is going to be a dementia that comes on you, and you will lose your greatness. And you will be out in the fields wandering. You will lay under the stars, and the dew will make you wet. Your kingdom will be all but removed. But hear me, the word but, everybody say but. All but removed. It will not be taken away completely, but all but removed for sure. And it says, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. Seven years will go by, right? Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. You will be removed from your kingdom until you grasp that you are not ultimately in charge. That's settle. You will be removed from your kingdom until you grasp that you are not ultimately in charge. The most high God is the most high. Duh, right? And it's not you. It is him. And you sit under. And all of God's people said, and man, we must grasp That no ruler and no king and no president takes any position except that the Most High God puts them in that place. And all of God's people said, and uh, hear me now, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. From the moment you get that he's in charge, from the moment this whole thing ends and you put him over, this kingdom will be restored. That stump represents what will come. There is hope. In your God. And uh, man, as we follow our God, we must understand that He is ultimately in charge. 
And yes, he is in charge of those who rule, whether it be in the smallest levels, maybe just within your home or within your company, within this state and within this country and within this world. God chooses and God sets in motion. He is the most high. And as it says here, he will place as he sees fit. Please note that doesn't always mean that he's giving it to the believer. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't getting it, and yet he was in charge. God had, everybody say, God had a plan. God had a plan. And uh, so I just thought this might be a good moment, since we're a couple weeks out from election, to just talk for a second on it. And uh, here's a couple thoughts in it. In this season of election, how do I stand by my God? And how do I let him guide me? Okay? And uh, man, we've just had more information come out, right? And now there's things about... uh, emails and what may or may not be in them and who wrote them and who didn't write them and who should be responsible and all the nasty that's going on with it. And we've got character flaw on the other side uh, in huge ways. And, and so what do I do and how do I go after this? And what does it even look like to be in America and cast a vote? And, and uh, here's a couple things I wrote down. Please note this. Um, we have a huge responsibility in this nation to be able to vote. And I do take advantage of it. And uh, do think it through. And uh, even if you need to write a name in, man, you have a chance to vote. And uh, that's not given in many countries. Take advantage of that to be educated up, prayed up, and go after it. And so here's a few guidances on how to do it. Ready? Number one. You may want to write these down. Number one. You are voting in a sinner no matter what. Let's just be real, all right? No matter who you vote for, no matter when you vote for them, no matter how much of a believer they are or aren't, you are voting in a sinner no matter what, okay? So think that way. Be aware. Be clear of that. Okay, that's number one. And uh, by the way, that's not to be derogatory. We're all sinners saved by grace. And all of God's people said? And uh, so they are humans. Welcome to being a sinner, right? Number two, uh, some sin is disqualifying and should not be elected. And that's for you to be figuring out where you stand on that. Some sin is disqualifying and should not be putting someone in charge. And uh, God can speak through a nation of believers who speaks to disqualifying sin. And uh, think that through. Be wise to that. I'm not going to say what sin is disqualifying and not. I'm asking you to be reasoning that through. Uh, Number three, uh, one day... A sinless person will lead everything, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Until that time, we are voting in human beings who are flawed, and there is sin that goes on in it. Be wise to it. Be reasoning in it, okay? One day, we will serve the risen Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He will rule physically over all of creation perfection in charge, praise be to God. Cannot wait for that day, right? Love to cast that vote, amen? And that's where we're headed. All right, Uh, until then, here we go. This is number four. Vote for godly principles, not selfish gain. Vote for godly principle, not selfish gain. Man, your vote is not to be, man, I'll get the most money if this guy gets in office. Boy, if this guy gets in, what he could do for me in, be really careful with that kind of thinking. 
If it's all about selfish gain, you could be walking this place into a godless vote. And uh, think that through, okay? And uh, be wise about it. Vote for godly principles, not selfish gain. And number five, not all moral issues are equal. Not all moral issues are equal. As you're hearing these, you might be like, I'm not even sure what to do with some of this information. Ponder over it and mull over it over the next couple weeks. But what I'm saying in that is, as you look at one party and one person and one character, and as you look at another, and you might be like, do you see what they've done? I can't vote that in. Do you see what they have done? And, and there might be very differing levels of moral failure. There might be very equal levels, and you have to reason that out. But I'm just asking you to say this. Not all moral failure is the same. Otherwise, we're right back to we only elect one perfect king. That actually comes way later in life. It says the Lord Jesus Christ walks in and we drop to our knees and cry out with all we've got that we are humbled before him and he is to reign as we worship him on our knees. That's the only time we get to bring someone in perfect. Okay? Until then... Make sure you're voting for godly principle, not selfish gain. Make sure that you understand moral issues are, uh, not all moral issues are equal. Uh, number six, pray for God to work. Pray for God to work. And uh, please hear me, he will work. We already know that and we see this in this passage. He sets up and deposes kings. He puts in charge. He is the most high God. This is the beautiful way to pray. When you know God's already going to do it, you're like, Lord, I would love for you to do this. Just so you know, the answer to that prayer will always be yes. And what a beautiful way to pray, right? God, I know you're headed this way. I long for you to be in charge. And if this is you putting someone in charge that can take us to better ground, great. And if this is you putting someone in charge because it's time for us to face some things, great. You're in charge. And we pray for God to lead. And we pray for God to provide. And all of God's people said? Amen. All right. And number seven, I love this. This is a quote that I saw on uh, Twitter this last week from one of our Harvest Pastors up in uh, Canada. He wrote, either way, God's journal at the end of November 8th, voting day, God's journal at the end of November 8th, 2016, in quotes, Everything going according to plan. God's journal entry. God has a plan. And all of God's people said, Amen. man, as we walk into this time of election, and uh, let's just be real, there's a lot of confusion in it and a lot of darkness around it. I've given some guidance statements here that hopefully can help you to start praying through some things and be able to answer some questions and let it guide you. And if that means you vote for a party, fine. If that means you're writing in a name, fine. You do what God's leading you to do, and you pray for God to work. And that's where we sit, okay? We serve the most high God. Everybody say it with me. We serve who? Most we already know who's in charge, man. It's just a question of who he's gonna place in human level, and that is not our issue. God has a plan. Please go through these things. Please pray through these things. Please, please work it out. Please vote accordingly and make much of your God the whole way. And we will 
support along the way because our king is in charge. And all of God's people said, Amen. and we're done talking. All right. Guiding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then number three, in all your ways acknowledge him. Call this world to a God worth knowing. In all your ways acknowledge him. Call this world to a God worth knowing. One verse here, verse 27. It says, therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, even in narrative, even in a story, what's it there for? It's got a purpose, man. Because of this dream, this massive tree providing so greatly, but an angel comes down, declares it out, cut this thing down. Limbs coming down, leaves coming off, fruit going away, cut down, stump left. The stump now out in the wet of the dew for seven years until... It, along with all the other peoples, recognizes the most high God rules. That's what's coming down if we don't get it, right? That's what he's saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Therefore, because of that, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Here's a thought. Break off your sin. That's the first step. Stop doing what's wrong. Break off your sin. Kill the pride by practicing righteousness. Put on good. Be done with wrong. Put on the right. Put off. Put on. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Get rid of your iniquity or sin by being merciful to those around you. Done with sin. On with righteousness and mercy. And he says that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel's like, I know the Most High God. And when he says he's going to do something, he's got purpose. Maybe, maybe, O oh King, the purpose here is for you to humble yourself and he'll back off of this and things can continue. Maybe that, no matter what happens, maybe he doesn't back off. You still owe your Most High God. Get under. Get humble. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Done with your pride and watch God work. And all of God's people said, dude, that is our call. Our simple call here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It says, and he will direct your paths. Our God is a guiding God and our God has a plan. Are you sitting under the Almighty King and letting Him lead? Are you listening to Him and longing for Him to have a say in your soul? Let God lead. How do we acknowledge Him? Could be no better definition than this. Done with what offends your God. On with what glorifies your God. Mercy and righteousness to the core. May your God get all the glory. That is letting your God lead. And all of God's people said, Amen. we will jump into the second half of Daniel 4 next week and see what God has to say about all of us. Let's pray.